for listening to the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. I'm your host, Matt, and we kind of have a bit of a full house tonight. Uh, Josh is back in the studio with us, and we've got uh, our regular Jake here. And we also have a guest co-host tonight uh, in Jesse. So uh, a lot to get kind of through this this evening. We have a lot on our agenda, a lot happened this weekend. So uh, just a couple other things to, to highlight real quick. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Ballistic Footy. We also now have a uh, a text or voicemail line, uh, 317-762-1644, or you can email us at ballisticfootball at gmail.com. Uh, as much as uh, I don't know, there's probably nine listeners for the podcast, so I would imagine the people that listen to it, we're probably going to end up with uh, some, I will call late night uh, voicemails uh, at weird hours of the morning, so... Um, but that's a, that's a, a channel to get a hold of us. I guess to kick things off, I just want to, Jesse, ask you a, a couple questions that we asked all the, the guys on the show. First off, I know you're a huge football fan. What kind of got you into the sport? Was it playing it when you were young? Um, some of these guys have mentioned FIFA. What was the what was the thing for you that uh, made you fall in love? Yeah, I mean, for me, it would have been would have been playing. Um, I kind of ran through the gamut of of all the youth sports: baseball, football, basketball, um, and soccer was just really the one that kind of kind of resonated with me. I enjoyed the uh, constant activity, uh, being able to move around the field all the time. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that just that kind of carried the love of, of playing the game. Uh, and then watching the game just kind of developed over time from that. You you also ran uh, cross-country, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I ran yeah, cross-country. So, so you kind of had the running thing down pat, so it kind of fit I, well. <laughs> I ran cross-country just to try and stay in shape for soccer. Um, okay. So I picked that up in the summers just so I could try and build up some endurance and then just kept running through through the fall and then you uh you grew up in uh in pennsylvania right yeah eastern pennsylvania okay so you're a liverpool fan right what yes. uh what drew you to out of all the clubs what drew you to liverpool so it's i don't know if, if you had the experience of going through the Eurosport magazines growing up the catalogs absolutely um, yeah but i i mean i had I had, you know, I'd always go to the back of the book and, you know, look at the, look at the pages or whatever. And, and I guess it probably would have been, uh, well, what it would have been in 2005, the Champions League final, um, you know, there's different teams supporting or not, I don't want to say supporting, but different teams that I would follow. And that was, I mean, AC Milan was just crazy good, crazy good. So I remember watching that that final and first half three zero, and it's just like, well, I'd like to see at least a good a good game here. So hopefully Liverpool can do something and make it interesting. And they come back and it's three three. It's just you know it's an iconic final, and that kind of just like, you know, found myself cheering for them in the second half and and kind of, you know, carried that carried that going through. So um, that okay. that started that and then. 
Fernando Torres, like favorite player. I mean, yeah, Torres Torres back in his heyday was really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved I loved watching Torres play. And of course, Steven Gerrard, great player to watch as well. And you know, even as a United fan, I can admit they had a couple good players that were fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean every every club does. Every club has those characters, and and for me, it was you know it was it was Torres, it was. Uh, it was Gerard. It was Martin Skirtle getting his head stapled in the middle of a game, and and yeah. I mean it was just things like that. That as you as you watch a club, you just become more and more endear endearing, or those becomes more and more endearing. You become more and more entrenched in that loyalty to the club. Uh, and I, I mean I'm sure that's how it is for everybody. You know, you you pick a team, you watch a couple games, and okay, whatever, this is cool. And then you get that one moment that kind of like just you know triggers that feeling inside of you and you're just hooked it's it's over from there yeah i will say to your point about uh, respect for other clubs players i think jake will appreciate this if i remember correctly and josh will not appreciate this if i remember correctly you you had a decent amount of respect for andrew herrera when he's playing at united is or was it the opposite i despised andrew herrera <laughs> Uh, he he will forever. No one no, likes he will forever be notorious for coming in, putting in a a, a relatively harsh challenge on Gerard when Gerard got subbed on at halftime, and then Gerard stamping on him, and getting a red card about three minutes into the half. <laughs> okay, well we'll just uh, we'll scrap that. We'll, uh, <laughs> we won't worry about that. So uh, moving through the rest of of kind of what we wanted to cover tonight. I obviously did kind of a solo show. Um, you guys were, were fairly busy over the last couple of weeks on the U.S. men's national team. And I know uh, some of what I probably said you guys agree or disagree with. And I, I'd also be curious to know if, if you guys have any any additional perspective or want to challenge anything that I, I mentioned uh, on that solo show. So I guess, Jake, uh, you've been pretty quiet. Um Abnormally quiet. What? And I know you have a lot, a lot of thoughts on these qualifiers. Do you have any kind of leftover thoughts? Something that's kind of flown under the radar, I'd say, is the lack of minutes Conrad De La Fuente got. Uh, in terms of, we saw him in the first game. He gets like a huge start, and then we didn't see him the rest of the turn or the rest of the window. So. I think that was a pretty weird one. Yeah, um, and I, you know, he had a pretty, I mean, the El Salvador game was not great overall, but I thought he played decent in that match. He looked like the most dangerous player. For, yeah, for so that was, you're half. right. I, I feel like that did feel a bit odd for him to have a pretty strong game. And then folks kind of said, well, it's it's a load management thing, you know. He's not going to get much time in the second game, but then we didn't see him in Honduras. So I did I did think that was odd as well. And then another takeaway, I said I said going into the window that you got to fit Aronson into the starting 11 no matter what, and I still agree. I probably agree with that even more now because <laughs> he just gets goals like almost every game he plays in or just gets a goal involvement. So, yeah, I think Aronson is just – Good things happen when he's on the field, and we got to ride that out for however however long it goes. Yeah, he he was he has such a high work rate that 
I think he makes things happen. The level level of pressure he applies, you know, I think he's a he's a pretty pretty drastic game changer when he's on the field. Any Josh or Jesse, you guys have have thoughts on either Conrad De La Fuente or or Aronson? No. Hate <laughs> no, I'm honestly like, like I like I've uh, like you guys have already known and me discussing it. I haven't really followed the national team as uh, as a good American should, and so He's, I'm trying to get better. No, I know what you're doing, Josh. You're basically saying it's World Cup or bust. You're not even going to get emotionally attached until they qualify. That's what that's what it is, isn't it? Well, I mean, no, because I am kind of invested in. Um, in our youth system abroad and seeing American players do well abroad. Um, but the uh, 2018 qualifiers, that yeah. was rough. That was rough to watch. And I have to say, um, you know, aside from the Nations League and the Gold Cup, those were like the first two national team games I've watched since then. Uh, and then... Uh, the last game I watched was obviously Honduras and um, uh, a couple last week or a couple weeks ago. That was exciting, um, but also terrifying. <laughs> and that, that first half kind of made you want to throw up. I think that there's a lot to take away from that game, and uh, I don't know if it. I uh, I don't know if it's already been discussed, but that was that was a rough watch for me because I think it could have easily been. Four nil the or four one the other way, so. But that's that's all I have to say on that, Jesse. I mean, for me, it's it's. I don't know. I have I have <laughs> I have a lot of uh, not so positive thoughts um, regarding uh, Conrad and Aronson. Uh, yeah, I mean, Aronson is a is a no brainer for me. Um, he's he's easily been one of the best players on the field every time he steps on the field, and. I don't know. I think I think Baralter needs to start playing people that are informed, people that are hot. And I know there's something to be said about these CONCACAF qualifiers and how physical they are, and you know the the crappy field condition. Uh, there's there's a million excuses that they use to play veteran and senior players. But I mean, I think part of part of something, or part of uh, part of what goes on is is that he relies on people that he can quote rely on, and I mean. Like Josh said, 2018 was terrible. We we've tried that. And I know that wasn't you know that wasn't their halter, but like, what what are we doing? You know, we're we're going out there and we're we're giving teams life that shouldn't have any life, you know, with us. We save it to the last 13 minutes, you know, to put three goals in. That, I mean, to me, we got to be doing better than that. And and I think part of that is is playing people like Conrad, playing people like Aronson, playing playing our youth, playing our our. Playing our guys that are in form, playing our guys that are getting minutes. Do you think it was just kind of a stroke of luck that, you know, Greg made those changes in the second half of the Honduras game and then, you know, we end up with the 4-1 win? Or do you think that was truly a a thought-out, you know, tactical decision on his part? I'm going to be hopeful that it was a tactical decision. I don't know for sure. Um that first goal didn't necessarily feel like it was really in the run of play. Um, we had, you know, we had possession, we had chances, but I mean, I don't know that we had any any great chances prior to that. And and those 
and honestly the 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 rest of the goals after that the the last three uh that was just all due to tiredness um i mean you had talked about the the press and how well orchestrated that press was i don't think there was any way that press was going to last 90 minutes um the fact that it lasted 75 was impressive and after 75 minutes it was just i mean they were gassed they couldn't they couldn't really uh stay with anybody at that point and so i think that I think that it was just, you know, maybe it's tactical to to save save what you have in the tank until the the end there, and you know maybe he's he's playing a game that that I'm not, and you know props to him because we got the four one, but I still, I mean, I don't like saving it to that that late, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I. That that's the thing that I'm kind of torn about is yeah we got a four four one win. And nothing against Honduras, but it was a 4-1 win against Honduras. And I think it's a right step in the direction from a confidence standpoint. I think those younger guys really needed that to help help boost it because it just felt like everything was in limbo. But uh, And a breakout game for Ricardo Pepe. So I think that's, that's positive. I feel like that game is going to – I mean – Aside from from his his club performance, that game is going to put him into Europe. I mean, people saw that 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 game is going to put him into Europe. Jake, where do you think he's headed? Um, I know. Well, he he's had eyes on him for a long time, uh, just with his physical attributes, and he has such a good instinct for goal. And he's also just, he's just a great finisher. Finisher. So like all of his intangibles are just incre- at, incredible. At eighteen years old. And in my opinion, I think Pepe kind of—I think Pepe saved Berhalter's job in a lot of people's eyes, because Pepe—he was involved in three of those goals after he came on. So, I—I—I I, I think that Pepe kind of just bailed Greg out. I don't—I think uh, Greg got the starting eleven wrong, his, his tactics wrong, and I don't know—we just can't be making these mistakes. Uh, so. Greg is, he is on, I don't know, he's a short leash. And on, on where Pepe's going, I probably, I, I would like to see him in Italy. I think he could do well there. Um, technically, he's one of our best number nines in the men's national team. And yeah, yeah. he actually uh, snagged another goal, I think, this weekend for FC Dallas. So he's he's in a good, uh, good run of form, too, and. Yeah, it's nice. You know, he he really seemed to put things on his shoulders and really help help the team out. So it'll be be good to see where things head with him, and hopefully, Greg continues to keep a, a level head and continues to play him, and he stays healthy going into these October qualifiers. Well, and just related related to that transfer, also, I'm pretty sure the release clause is twenty five million dollars for Pepe. So, that's that's what I've heard at least, and I definitely think a club will pay that. We'll see what happens in January. I don't know. Maybe if it, if some team needs a striker, yeah, Pepe would be a great choice. Well, pivoting away from uh, some of the men's national team items, we had some back to Premier League action and action around the the world and different club and different uh, leagues. So, 
I think the the first one we saw Saturday was uh, Crystal Palace against Tottenham, and I'm curious to know uh, some of what your guys' thoughts are. I mean, Tottenham had a pretty decisive win against uh, Manchester City, so now there was a, a yellow card uh, from what I saw um, on Wilfred Zaha because they didn't – there's a player down for Tottenham. They didn't play the ball out or stop play, so then there was a hard foul – and I forget who, who, who was it that fouled him? Tananga. Yeah, it, yeah. So it was that foul that got got the yellow card. Uh, probably kind of lenient on the yellow card. It was a pretty hard challenge. I think some hands to the face just to stop the play. And then he ends up getting a follow up yellow. I I know <laughs> Jesse Jesse's probably gonna disagree with me on this, and maybe maybe Josh and Jake will too. That second challenge, I feel like. To me, didn't seem yellow worthy, but I feel like the ref knew he probably cut him a break earlier in the game and was like fed up with it at that point. But as soon as that red card was issued, Tottenham just fell apart. And, and Eduardo came on and just had a heck of a game, scored those two goals. So, you know, was it, was it, was the red card really the decisive factor or was Eduardo really? that strong during the match to cause Crystal Palace to end up beating Tottenham 3-0. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you about the, the second yellow. Um, I mean, it was a relatively common foul. Uh, I, I think that you're right, though, that it was, you know, uh, a little bit of leniency in the hard foul and then not giving a second yellow for the handbags afterwards. Um and then probably just accumulation, you know, it's just one of those things that you, you know, you keep fouling. And I think that might've been his second foul after the first yellow, maybe a little bit harsh, but also, you know, at the same time, I think it was well-deserved. Um, I don't, I don't think he should have been on the field much after the, after the foul on Zaha. Um, yeah, I agree. I just watched it again. I had to, I had to take a second look at it. Um, to form an opinion. And, uh, you know, I think from the referee's point of view, too, it looked kind of high on the leg. Like him sliding in like that, I think maybe gave that. And, like, it, yeah, it looks kind of soft from the second, like, watching it over. Um, but, like, maybe from the ref's perspective, that looked a little high, uh, high and dangerous. And so, I don't know. I mean, he was on thin ice already. He's obviously, like, worked up over Zaha, not kicking the ball out. So, Yeah, and, and I guess Tottenham, were, they were missing Sun, correct? So he, he's been yeah. a huge contributor for them. Yeah, I, th- I think that was part of their frustration is just uh, creating anything. They, they struggled. Um, I mean, Palace did a, a really good job of, of – exploiting uh, some counterattacks. I mean, that's kind of what Zaha does. Carry the ball, create, beat people one-on-one. Um, but, I mean, I think it's, I honestly think it's just part of Tottenham is that when things don't go their way, they they collapse. Their mentality is questionable at times. Um, and, I, I mean, I think that's what we saw. Uh, Lucas was was flying into challenges late in that game. Yeah, you'd, 
You had said that. You're kind of surprised he didn't end up with a yeah, red. He had, he had one that was just, I mean, telegraphed. Telegraphed that he was coming in with malicious intent. And, you know, fortunately, everybody saw it. And so the Crystal Palace player would kind of just like, like, I don't know, uh, just stepped over him. I mean, it was... It was it was bad, um, but I mean, I don't know. I, it it honestly reminded me of the the Chelsea Tottenham game when Leicester won the title. Like it was just Tottenham was just it, it was so flustered. They were just so out of it, um, and I think that's part of why uh, why Odson Edward looked so good is because he was finding space in the middle of the field, in the middle of the box, and, and he's, he's a big strong guy. Um, but like his. <laughs> He was getting time. He was getting time at the penalty spot. I, I don't know how that happened. Well, I know Jake has to run here soon, so I'm going to go ahead and pivot to the most important agenda item we had to talk about, which was obviously Ronaldo's return. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I said on uh, on our last episode Viva that I, I was really surprised he started. And the reason, part of the reason was if they, if they started losing the game and then you put him in at the end of the game and they still lose, it's like, well, he didn't have enough time to really make an impact. You start him and they lose that, (laughs) that could really uh, deflate a lot of situations. I think it was purely a decision to really rile up the fan base. It ended up working out, but uh, Jake, I know (laughs) <laughs> it's Newcastle. Yeah, they're good. They're a good team, Josh. Okay. What do you mean, like <laughs> mighty, mighty magpies? Come on. I mean, sure. <laughs> but J- Jake, I know, I know you have a lot, to, lot to contribute to this. I mean, this guy, Golden Boot, probably already in the bag. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, probably a Ballon d'Or. I, I mean, I don't know. I He is going to be so immense for us. Uh, that's exactly what you want him for because Manchester United, we struggle against these mid-table clubs and, and because we do decent against the the top six, hey, which gotta, now Arsenal win. is like not even in anymore. Leicester, so we're Leicester to took their place. That. Yeah, Leicester, you could slot him in there. Um, but yeah, so... We want Ronaldo to be scoring against these clubs also. And uh, he'll show up in the big games too. He's done it plenty of times. So, yeah, I'm just super excited. He brings so much off-ball movement, which, I mean, Cavani did that as well, but Ronaldo is more of a – physically is better than Cavani, you know. Um, And he's still in his prime. I I think Ronaldo's going to play until he's 40. So – yeah, and he can still sit in the box and give us 20-plus goals when he's 39, you know? So it's just a great time great time around the club, and everyone's happy. Yeah, I do. I think there is this, yeah, I've mentioned it before, kind of this nostalgia factor for, you know, those that watched in the Sir Alex days. <clears throat> you know, kind of reliving, reliving those glory days. Granted, it was Newcastle, Josh, but let us let us have our fun. Um, but I, with that being said, I gotta wonder though: is this a uh, is this long term? 
you know, or is it kind of this the similar situation when you fire a manager, you hire a new one, you bring them in, and oh, bam, they have like two or three good games, and then they're back to where they were before. You know, we see that a lot. I guess do you, do you guys think Ronaldo is going to make this team kind of gel together and they've hit their momentum moving forward, or is it just kind of a short term? A short-term win, I, and will it fade? I said it. I said that. I think when we started the podcast, like on the whatever episode I was on, or we've just been, been just sheer talking, that I thought that Manchester United, they weren't in the running for like winning the league, but they were certainly you know a top top four club, as as they typically always are. You know what I'm saying? This is this is a classic United team now, like. Cavani, Pogba, Ronaldo, obviously, like, Rash, like they look good. They're not starting. They're, I don't know. They're just like a top side now, you know. What and, a, what a Manchester United team should be is what yeah, like yeah. like a yeah. When you look at like the history of Manchester United, like having superstars, just like every position is a superstar. That's what United team look, or that's what Manchester United looks like now, and I think it's I think it's fitting that like eleven goals in top of the table, um, Cristiano comes in and banks two in. I mean, granted the first one was kind of whatever, just cleaning up, but yeah, someone's got to do one, it. Someone's got to do the, it. Yeah, no, the second <laughs> one that yeah, the first one was a poacher's goal for sure, but the second one that was um, <laughs> that was just him. Putting well, a and then boot you got, it, you know, and you got Pogba with seven assists. I mean, yeah, know, they look think, they look fantastic. They looked terrifying, honestly. Um, so, I I think I think they could easily win the league. I mean, okay, you heard I it here, Chelsea yeah. fan. Yeah, I, th- I think they could win the league. I mean, granted, Chelsea, we have we literally have two. You have first Timo teams. Werner, so you're We have you're two first solid. teams. <laughs> I think what's holding us back for right now uh, is we got to find that right midfield mix in terms of... Because I want to convert to the... And I know Ali wants to go to the 4-3-3 uh, with, a, with an attacking midfielder. And so then you'd have Pogba and then next to him. So you got to figure out who's that guy next to him. I really think it's Scout McTominay. Um, cause he gives you that physicality. He also gives you that, um, tackling in the midfield and he also can pass very well too. So I think Scott McTominay, if you slot him in for those big games, I would much rather have that than Fred or Maddich. Maddich does a decent job, but he can only play so many games, but we could really use like an Ander Herrera or something like that. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Ander Herrera would really, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we could those do are the Fred exact for Ander players Herrera I'm talking swap. about. Ander Herrera, Scott <laughs> no, McTominay. But, those are the players that are like, okay, okay. Like, Ander yeah, used to sure. be a starter, but in, if we would want him to be a rotational guy now, that so that's the difference is that he's he'd be a proper he'd be in his proper role at Manchester United. Dude, Ander Herrera is like a starter at I don't know a La Liga side. Freaking, no, or what, uh, oh, I think really? I think he might be starting for AFC Richmond. 
yeah. <laughs> well, gosh, I gotta get some tickets. Um, I, I, I could not disagree more with the McTominay comment. Um, I, Fred, Fred is Fred is yeah terribly inconsistent, but oh, Fred on his yeah. on his on his even remotely decent days is <laughs> still far far better than than McTominay. I think McTominay's getting better and better on the ball, and I see him make more progressive carries now than I've ever seen him before. And also, it also is special to have a guy who has that Manchester United like grew up in the club on the field. Um, we've had we've now gone like five thousand games having a Manchester United youth academy player on the field, and I feel like that's that's just important because um, then we wouldn't just be another like rich club with no tradition or culture well maybe he'll be like shaw and you know seven eight ten years from now he'll start scotland in this next world cup is he gonna break out (laughs) yeah right dude i i I don't know i i really like scott mctominy and i think he'd be a very good player at a mid-table premier league side so i think that's good enough to be i I like uh, where your ambition is. A rotational is. guy in a Premier League side. I like where your ambition is for but Man he'll do a job I really do. Mid-table role. club. I like <laughs> that ambition. I don't... <laughs> when that guy's on your bench, though, that's totally... Like Shakiri on Liverpool. He wasn't a top six yeah. player, but he was a top six sub. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or not a top six yeah. starter, but... He looked good. Yeah. Well, Jake, I know you got to get going. Yeah, I do have to get... All right. Well, it was it was good talking to you. Yeah, pleasure. Catch you later. So, uh, speaking of not even uh, mid-table clubs, but maybe even bottom of the table clubs, Arsenal snagged their first one this weekend. Convincing, convincing <laughs> fashion. <laughs> I. I mean. They're staying up. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're an Arsenal supporter and you watch that win, you're staying incredibly, up, incredibly relieved to get the win, but you're not walking away from that feeling good. Uh, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I, it was just kind of a, it's a, it, it's a dumpster fire uh, that kind of saw a spark shoot off and, you know, got something out of it. I mean, I, that, I'm kind of like, I've I've always had a lot of respect for Arsenal because when Arsene Wenger, I mean his his thing was kind of what we've seen. I don't think later on in his career, but we, what we've kind of seen Borussia Dortmund do is, you know, develop a lot of young talent, and I, I had a lot of respect for that. And but you know, then the then the fans are like, he's trash. We don't want him, so they he basically left because he didn't have the support from the fans and. I think Mikel Arteta is a great guy, but I don't know that his right now in his career, I I think he has the resources to be a decent manager at the club he's at. So I don't think that's the issue. I just don't think he's at a place right now where he can manage that side. I was that was that was going to be my question for you is is how do you feel about Arteta? And I think I agree with you. Um, I mean the club. The, the club has the resources to be, you know, fighting for top six at the very, very, very least. Uh, I mean, with the players they have, they should be, you know, poking around the top six at the 
very, very least. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because, you know, they were top four with with Wenger and that's what that's what everyone was throwing a fit about. They yeah, weren't challenging for the title. <laughs> right, right. Now it's now it's hey, if we can if we can, you know, be in the top fifteen we'll be happy. So Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, you take take things for granted. But um yeah, I think Arteta was is uh, an ambitious choice uh for the club and I don't know. I don't know if I buy into his his project. Uh yeah, I don't know if I buy into his project there. Yeah, I, I don't see him being around for very long yeah i agree i mean where did he come from though he was assisting pep at man city oh Oh, that's right yeah i thought see i thought he was like at like was he on the arsenal coaching staff at one point before he went to city no he might have been but i'm not sure who he would have been under Um, I mean, Arsenal's had had quite the uh, quite the managerial carousel. Yeah, ever since Wenger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah, like I... Lamps. You know, I mean, granted, Lamps was a legend. Arteta, not so much. I don't know. At Arsenal, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like returning to coach, coaching the team that you played for pretty recently. Um, well, it's like it's kind of like uh, it would have been like if Henri came back and coached him. And we know from Henri's manager career so far, I, I think he's doing okay. As an, I think he's an assistant for Belgium now. But like between where he's hopped around, I mean Monaco had a had a terrible season under him. He coached at Montreal and. MLS, just not. So, yeah, I mean, be, we all know kind of being a good player doesn't necessarily equate just like it did for Frank Lampard. I mean, Frank was a was a good, solid player. Um, those are the yeah. situations, honestly, I'd like to see work out. Yeah, Because <laughs> no. I think it's cool for those stories to carry on. But I was so sad last year. I was so sad. And then Thomas Tuchel won, won me over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good pick. That's a good pickup. I that, think it's yeah. similar to when Liverpool picked up Klopp. I would, mad respect. Uh, I, who's who's out there? Who's available right now for Pep? Uh, uh, Pep? Pep? <laughs> Pep's not available. Pep will, Pep will leave. Pep will leave the prem. He's got Pep, a year oh, on his contract. Uh, well, I thought he had two year, two seasons left on his that contract. Was, is it 2020? Is it 2023? No, it's 2021 right now. Oh, yeah, I think it is 2023. But it's his contract. And then he says he wants to go coach international teams. Yeah. Um, which, which he's already ruled out Brazil. I don't know if you read that, but he's already ruled out Brazil. He says uh-huh. uh, Brazil will always have a Brazilian coach the national team. It's the Brazilian uh-huh. way. But I could see him going to like Argentina or to chile or something um yeah i think it, it might depend too on how how well spain does in this upcoming world cup because if they see an opportunity to fire whoever their manager is to pick him up i wonder i wonder how that would go seeing as how he's uh uh kind of been somewhat outspoken about the catalan independence oh yeah that's true 
Well, he can manage. He can manage the Catalan national team. <laughs> you mean after like about? <laughs> I mean, I think I think he'd be great for for Spain. That'd be that'd be dope. To see Pep yeah. coach Spain. I actually, I you know, living in Spain for three years, I have a soft spot for the national team. So. Yeah, I think that would be that'd be good. But I think he said that he actually like wants to coach overseas, like in South I, America. Okay, okay, I hadn't heard that. I heard he was wanting to coach internationally. I hadn't heard that he was wanting to head overseas. Yeah, he's he's made comments about you know kind of just you know, making stops at, at in all the different places. Well, hey, why would why wouldn't the U.S. be an option? I mean, if oh the U.S. is God. an option, it's got to be the national team. <laughs> Go go somewhere where where your name is actually going to carry some weight. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. we won't we won't have any of this like oh we need to cap tie them. It'll yeah. be people begging to play for <laughs> right. the team. Right. Yeah. I mean, just backtracking a little bit to the national team, I I do think that we have a very very promising youth setup. You know, and I think yeah yeah, and I think it a good chunk of it, in my opinion, hinges on. One, if we qualify, <laughs> and then I think two, if we perform at a respectable level at the World Cup, because like I said before, I think that's kind of the, the biggest stage for the U.S. to kind of advertise football, soccer as, you know, for that next generation, you know, kids watching that, they pick up a copy of FIFA, whatever it is. I think that really helps drive a lot of talent down that channel and in a nation that has a lot of different sports options and a lot of really solid athletes too. I actually disagree a little bit. I think that that trickle effect is a lot further down the, uh, down the, the chain, um, than, you know, kind of, of than, uh, the impression I'm getting at least. Um, and what I mean by that is, is there's been a lot of investment from, usl mls clubs um academies are are picking up players uh locally now and they're everywhere um and i mean i'm seeing you know my my son plays and i've seen kids that are 10 12 14 years old that are i mean i would never have imagined playing like they play when i was 16 17 18 let alone what they're doing when they're 12 um and so I think I think that there's there's been a lot of I'll call it grassroots. I don't think it's actually grassroots um, investment though into into the youth uh, system. And so I think that I mean I, I would have imagined that after the 2018 we would have seen a little bit more of this fall off. Um, but I mean our youth is is strong. I I really believe that our youth uh, prospects are are promising. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think a, a promising showing in the World Cup is definitely going to help. Um, I honestly don't know if, if a bad showing or even a lack of qualification is going to be that detrimental. Uh, there's there's a lot of money in these academies, and I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is just is players going overseas and getting overseas experience, playing at the at the top club level, and uh, you know as much as I hate to say it, but like the MLS isn't doing us any favors in developing players um, that can compete 
on the international stage uh, like the World Cup. So I I think we're developing a lot better, like a lot more quickly than I would have uh, imagined. Um, I, I mean, I would have thought the same thing, you know, probably three or four years ago that uh, our kids need to be, you know, seen at a relatively early age and then picked up by a European club and developed over there. Um, I mean, the, the Pulisic model. But I, I, I mean, we have um, uh, the Mönchengladbach left back, right back. Joe, Joe Scali. Scali, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he came up through, through American clubs. Um, Pepe came up through American clubs. Like, oh, I don't don't hold me to that. Um, I actually don't know exactly where he he played before. Uh, I, th- I think Dallas. he I think he was uh, an academy product from Dallas. I think so too, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't know for sure. Um, but I mean, I, we are developing talent, and that talent's going out after they're making their debuts versus you know jumping over early on in age uh, to the academies. Some players are. Um, you know, we're seeing that with with plenty of players uh, as well. But uh, I've been impressed with what the MLS clubs and and even some of the college programs are are putting out. Um, it's it's not been as disappointing as as I thought it might be. Yeah, yeah. He he was uh, FC Dallas uh, youth youth product. So no, I, I think you're right. And uh, you know, the other thing too is I don't know that. The Jurgen Klinsman gets enough credit for a lot of the changes he made with at the youth level, because um, you know one of the criticisms in the United States, anyway, with with soccer, along with I think other sports as well, is the barrier for basically a non upper or middle class, and I would say upper middle class to to, <laughs> to upper class, the barrier for those individuals to get into a decent program that's then going to develop them is a very high bar to chin and from a financial standpoint. And yeah. I think, I think Klinsman saw it and he's like, this is, this is trash, <laughs> which it is. I mean, if you really want to develop, develop kids, you, you know, some of the best players in the world, we've talked about it before are kids that, that had nothing, you know, yeah. that's, that's the case with Ronaldo and Messi. So I do think that Klinsman has helped, kind of shape that and help that even though he's gone, he set the foundation and I think it's headed in the right direction. I think Josh, to your point is we're still in a phase right now where once, you know, Ricardo Pepe gets to the MLS, he plays a little bit and then he finds an opportunity to, to head to a more competitive league. You know, that's the point that we're at. And I think, I'm good with that because <laughs> I think we're developing talent. The MLS itself is just not quite there to be able to say it makes sense for me to stay in my domestic league and, and try to continue to develop and get looks and opportunities. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also, he's, he's so young. He's 18 years old, right? Carter Pepe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's hard. <laughs> like he's still like five years away from being a, from being like physically, I don't know, from being like physically competitive in leagues overseas, you know, like I don't know what the average 
starting lineup age for like teams in La Liga or the Prem, but you know, like Chelsea is is a good example because we have so many youth players and um and you know the the Chelsea model of of loaning the loan army um and coming back to the club and they're young and they're not getting time but it's like we have world class players in their positions you know like you go on loan and you get stronger and you get you you adapt you know but um it, it's going to be the same way for the national team you know you, you can't expect a a 18 20 year old 21 22 to come into the national team and boss it uh on the international level you know it takes it takes years of development and, and getting strength and developing that talent they just have to keep working hard you know and i'd like to see players like Pepe go overseas and continue developing but like i don't expect an immediate turnaround um or uh, an immediate you know results from him doing that either you know that's 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 next world cup that's the that's the 2026 20, World Cup, you know. Like, that's what we're look. That's what we have to look forward to, you know. So, um, when Christian Pulisic is captaining, he's like thirty years old. Landed <laughs> Donovan out there, like, um, yeah. yeah. Getting mad when he doesn't get selected. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> so. To to that point. Um, I think I think what's imperative though is that you get people like uh, Pepe over into those clubs before he's 23. Though yeah. we don't we don't need to see him in his peak physical form playing for FC Dallas. We need to see him playing for a top side. Uh, we need to see yeah. him being able to get get that experience at that time and even before then. But we need to see him getting that experience uh, when he's you know when he is in that form. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like going to Belgium or the Netherlands or something like that. And I mean, the Netherlands is a great spot to develop. Yeah. And I think that's, I think there's probably a lot of soccer fans that football fans that, uh, you know, it's like, well, you, if you're going to go to Europe, you got to go to La Liga, you got to go to the Prem, you know, you got to go to Syria. They don't think about, you know, Belgium, Austria, um, Germany's the other one I forgot to mention earlier, but even Ligue 1, France. I mean, there's there's a lot of other places where you can develop in really competitive clubs that I think kind of get lost from some Americans' perspective when they think about European clubs. So, yeah, I think that's a good point is there's a lot of opportunities out there. It may not necessarily be right off the bat with, you know, one of the clubs that everybody's familiar with, you know, but they're great stepping stones as part of the next step in in a young player's career. Yeah. Uh, he could step right now into the starting lineup and probably a number of those smaller European leagues and then also be afforded the world stage of, of being able to play against somebody like Ronaldo at Man U when they right. you know play them in a qualifier or group stage for the Champions League, you know, or even Europa League. Like, um, you don't get that opportunity when you're playing MLS. You don't. You just. You never will. You'll never yeah. get that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like, yeah. I mean, you you, you see like Matt Miazga, too. 
who um like the hype around him he he was like a part of that loan system at Chelsea and he hasn't you know he hasn't turned into what we'd hoped he would turn into so i mean there's there's pros and cons to it too sure so and not and not everyone develops either so we have to we have to recognize that as well um yeah but yeah just keep i think i think the the national team is really exciting so i don't know yeah a lot of promise and we've we've kind of migrated a little bit to talking more about uh the the national team and and mls a little bit uh but i think that's that's good. I think it started with a discussion about Pep maybe becoming the, the national team coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, Arsenal. Yeah, just uh, yeah. Let's let's come come back back around <laughs> back to Arsenal. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is if you guys don't want to talk Chelsea or Liverpool, I mean, I'm not going to shed a tear over it. But I thought, you know, they both had uh, had decent games, interesting this weekend. So I, I guess Josh, uh, since you're here. Uh, Chelsea had a pretty pretty strong oh, performance. Lukaku, I love him. I love him. <laughs> I'm yeah, um, he's he's bossing it, man. And I'm so like, I'm so happy that we didn't get Erling Holland, and that we went after Lukaku. I I know, I know, but you what? know, I like the story. Okay. I'm about the storyline and you're about the narrative, the narrative. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of your narrative is secured for the next four years, <laughs> but Holland is the next 15. All right. All right. Uh, uh, who's to say we can't get him still. I mean, we do have Roman Abramovich. So the, the, the greatest owner in club football. How in love with Mateo Kovacic are you? I love, I love Kovacic too. He was phenomenal. Yeah. He was absolutely incredible. Lukaku's first goal was was I mean it could not have been set up on more of a tee by Kovacic. It was a beautiful, beautiful ball. Yeah, he's he's fantastic, and he scored a goal too. So, yeah. and you don't see that too often from Kova, but I, yeah, we um, I'm I'm so happy with the direction of this of this uh, of this team of the side that we have now. Um, holding Liverpool to a, to a draw with ten men, that was huge. That was huge because um, that was that was pretty pretty scary. Um, but Lukaku versus Villa, <laughs> that was that was a sight to see. So I'm 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 really uh, really happy with with uh, this weekend's result. And you know, despite what everyone else is saying about what everyone has been saying about Saul. About um, how he how he performed, he he did look out of his uh, out of his uh, element, out of his comfort zone. But I mean, Thomas Thomas had Tuchel, much time to, yeah. Well, yeah, he hadn't had much time to gel with the team. Honestly, I thought that was a decent pickup. Yeah, uh, I'm excited for what, on Chelsea's part for what but, he yeah, brings. It's really, it's it's a it's really true. short amount of time to for people to get all bent out of shape about a mediocre. Uh, the Nagari performance. Mediocre was pretty generous there. <laughs> I mean, if if he's, I mean, 
if he's even half as good as he was for Atletico a couple uh, seasons ago, I mean, it's he's you know he's not he's he's our fourth our fourth best midfielder right now, and it's and he's world class, you know, um, so yeah, I think I think we have a wicked strong team um, that. Like I said, with I mean between City, Liverpool, United, uh, and us, I mean I think it's a it's a complete toss up who's gonna win the league, but I promise you it's gonna be one of those four teams. I mean without a sh- without a shadow of a doubt. So um, yes. So with that uh, Chelsea is second. Second. I mean, it, everyone's everyone's at the top. Yeah. Equal points, equal yeah, goal differential. Goal, goal differential, yeah. goals for. So. Yeah, I mean, it's all the way down to goals for and against at this point, I think. Yeah. Well, I think uh, City lost. So. Yeah, but the, I think United, Chelsea, and Liverpool are all on goal, points, um, goal differential. Yeah, I think it's all. United uh, United uh, took a plus eight. Jump, jump in the goals for category this weekend. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's really close. It, it is all. It's all down to goals for. It's, United has eleven. Chelsea has nine, and uh, Liverpool has nine. So, yeah, it's uh, to your point. It's it's really early. Pivoting to the the Liverpool Leeds uh, game, you know, I think Jesse, you and I were kind of texting back and forth during the game. I thought Salah looked. He, they just could not contain him. Uh, he looked and, and and Mane as well. I mean, it was uh, they looked really really strong, um, and it, it kind of made me wonder because Leeds started off the season respectable, and it kind of it, it looked good. I have a lot of respect for Bielsa. I think he's a, he's a great manager, but obviously it was uh, kind of the news surrounding the injury that uh, kind of clouded that game and and switched everything so curious to to hear your thoughts and concerns about that situation yeah so that's that's one that that left me rattled for a good chunk of the day um wins and losses don't really like you know it'll it'll pick me up a little bit maybe you know get get a little bit of the well, that sucks after a loss, but usually shake it off pretty quick. Um, but having watched uh, Elliot, you know, since they since he signed with the club, seeing him last season at Blackburn, and lots and lots and lots of hope for him. Uh, three straight starts for the team, you know, getting lots of promising minutes, and his play's been been good. Uh, has been stellar, but it hasn't been bad. Um, I think he does a lot for Salah on that side as far as drawing defenders and helping to give Salah space. Uh, and so to see him go out like that, you know, probably probably ending a season, you know, it it sounds like it's just a dislocated ankle, just uh, not the not the tip fib fracture that we had kind of speculated earlier. Yeah. Um, but that's still, you know, there's still potential broken bones. There's still... Uh, likely ligament damage, severe ligament damage. So he'll probably be out uh, at least six months would be my guess. Um, 
this coming from an absolute lay person when it comes to medicine. So <laughs> take that for, yeah. for all it's worth. Well, and I think, you, you know, you brought up something too. I don't, the physical injury itself is obviously a, a huge deal. He's 18 yeah. years old. So is it, is it more of the mental aspect of it, of trying to recover, you know, a- after that type of injury? Yeah. I mean, you know, you just signed your first professional contract. You're, uh, you're a kid. You're, you're a kid. Um, you know, who knows how the body develops. He should, he should be able to heal back pretty quick, but you know, is his head going to be in it? And by all indications, um, from everything that he's posted and that he's done, um, in the last, you know, couple of months really, but especially in the last few days, he's been, uh, he's been showing that he's probably going to have the, the mentality and the, uh, the toughness to kind of stick it out and, and get through this, which is really promising to see. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping for the absolute best as far as that goes, hoping that he, you know, he kind of bounces back, uh, stronger, but you never know. I mean, you never know how these injuries affect people. Um, I could definitely, definitely see somebody, you know, just coming into their prime, you know, taking a real big blow to the, uh, to the self-confidence after something like this. I wish him a a good recovery. It's, I've said it before. I just enjoy watching the sport in general. I I know I I talk about being a Man United fan and obviously have the clubs that we all follow, but at the end of the day, I just, I like good competition, watching good players play and when you see something like that happen to a guy that's early in his career and has just started hitting his stride, it's it's tough to watch, especially having played before and and seen teammates go through that. Uh, I I was fortunate I never had a, a an injury like that. So um, no, I I unfortunately did see one of those tidbit fractures about ten yards in front of me, and it's it's it rough. We were, like it's, was it when we were coaching? No, that was when I was playing in high school. I saw okay. one. Um, yeah, big muddy field guy had his foot planted, slide tackle from the side, foot yep. was raised, and it just there was no give. And yeah. it sounded like a cannon going off. It was, it was bad. It's a hot. It's a haunting sound. Yeah. yeah. Um. But as I mean, going. I mean, as far as that game, aside from that, went. Um, if Mane could finish. If he could finish, they would have won like six or seven nothing. <laughs> like, come on! But hey, he got his goal right. He, he did. He did. He did. Um, yeah. So, and that's uh, that's one of those things that, as a uh, as a supporter, you are pulling your hair out every single time that he misses a chance. Uh, but then when he when he converts, it's, he's the greatest player there ever was. So right, of course right. he's going to convert. All right. <laughs> Yeah, he was uh he was knocking, that's for sure. And uh that was that that seemed like it was bound to happen. They they put up a graphic at the end of the game that was Mane with ten shots, leads with nine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's crazy. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I uh I there were I I sent this out to I guess there were some some Leeds fans that uh that were saying, chanting some not so great things related to Liverpool uh, always being the victim, but yeah. I, I think you have a 
you know, factions associated with each club that take things to absolute extremes. And um, I think sometimes, well, don't get me wrong, I'm not dismissing them at all. I think it's absolutely disgusting, but there's probably a good chunk of fans that um, are on the extreme opposite end of that. And I think you saw it a little bit when when uh, Elliot was being carted off. There were a lot of Leeds fans up in the stands uh, seeing him off and, and giving him applause. So and that's always how it goes, isn't it? There's always there's always a, a small group that ruins it for everybody. You know, they, they tarnish clubs' images. Um, you have it all over the place. You have the the ultras in in other you know other countries in yeah. Italy that are you know making racist gestures and stuff. And you know that's not the entire fan base. Uh, but you know, you, you have that everywhere, uh, every club, everywhere you go. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I will say not in a, uh, really strong defense of us soccer or football culture. Um, I have not experienced that in any of the games that I've gone to in the U S probably because we don't have any culture, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I was, I was about to say that. I mean, you know, we just, I don't think, I mean, you, you maybe see it in, some NFL type stuff, but I just don't think that we, I don't see the fan base getting to those extremes here. I mean, I'm sure there are some out there, but you just don't hear about that. Uh, especially when it comes to like MLS or USL, it's just not, not really things that, uh, I think there may have been, I follow the USL a little bit more closely than MLS. I, there may have been a couple situations last year, where some some USL supporters maybe said some not so great chants during matches, but the USL was pretty swift to come down. And the thing is, is since it doesn't happen that often, it's really easy to find out the people that were doing it. <laughs> so right. they stick out like sore thumbs. So right, I think I think Phoenix Rising had had a little bit of that scandal with their coach and and some fans uh then in in a future game i think it was against san diego yep um you know kind of uh trying to trying to instigate a little bit yeah and yeah i mean that stuff's that's that stuff's just i don't there's no place for that right yeah real quick jesse before before we take off and uh close out i am curious um so josh like I said, Jesse and I coached together. It was two years, right? Yes. Yep. I coached a total of three, one as an assistant. And to add some background to this, this school that we ended up uh, coaching at was in a, a rural community in, in Indiana. I will say rural has been redefined by my move to North Dakota. Uh, <laughs> turns out uh, the school we coached at wasn't that rural uh, at all. Um, but <clears throat> for Indiana standards, standards, it was. And because of that, they just had a really tough time finding coaches. So I I actually contacted the school looking – I contacted like three or four programs asking if they wanted to volunteer because I just want to get involved in the game again. And one responded to me and they said, uh, would a paid assistant coach position be okay? And I'm like, uh, if I don't have to be there all the time, yeah, it's fine, <laughs> you know, because I, I was working and had a full-time job. And, uh, they said, yeah, that's, that's fine. So go, go be the assistant. Uh, the following season 
head coach resigns. Hey, you want to be the head coach? Uh, not really. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of told them the same thing. I said, I can't guarantee that I'll, I'll be able to make every game and every practice. So I was kind of, I needed an assistant. I had just, I think a few months before that started playing in that, in that indoor league with uh, Jesse and the Shaven yeah. Wookiees. And, yes. uh, and so I sent out an email to some folks on the team and said, Hey, would anybody be interested in being an assistant? And Jesse responded said, yeah, I, I'm down. So I had, uh, at that point I'd had a few years of uh, coaching experience doing, you know, U six and U six. Yeah. And- probably another with, year of you with, so. with your son coaching your son yeah. right yeah. yeah so but i think we both can agree that the jump to high school is uh it's it's different i i really enjoyed it uh, we talked about this before the show i like being involved but all the administrative stuff that goes with it is uh isn't so fun <laughs> but yeah for all that background, I guess uh, my question for you, Jesse, is what was your favorite moment of coaching those two years? I mean, I, I definitely have a few. Um, you know, we had some kids that that yeah, could barely kick a ball, you know, to be to be honest. Like, as far as the high school level goes, they, they weren't there, but they worked so damn hard. Yeah. And you love to see it. And, you know, we had one kid that, that would constantly work and work and work and work and ended up in our first season making it onto the field. I think he started a couple of games. And I think he might have even gotten a goal. Um, and, I mean, if you saw him playing pickup, he would have been one of the last kids picked. Like, But he just worked. He worked hard and loved seeing that. Um, our first season was, uh, was sectionals. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was awesome. I mean, like – Again, I don't feel like we had any business being there, um, no. but our our keeper, uh, I'm pretty sure, was uh, was my son's inspiration because you know my son was adamant that he played goalie and played goalie and played goalie. And um, a couple of years ago, um, he had, and I wish we had the opportunity. We were talking about how expensive uh, youth soccer is, but he had actually made the the state ODP team as oh, a keeper. Wow. Which was, I mean, super cool. Um, yeah. But there's just, I mean, it's it's way too expensive. <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we weren't able to do that. Um, but you know, he's, you know, he's taken he's taken something away from that too. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot that I learned from that. And um, I don't know if I have necessarily one moment. Um, I'm kind of yeah. curious if you do. Um, I I do remember an opposing coach yelling ball don't lie one time and (laughs) wanting to like never never being so angry at a grown-ass man (laughs) when he yells ball don't lie to a bunch of high school kids (laughs) yeah that's why that's why i texted you that the other day oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, you know i i kind of share to your point that's that sectional championship we had we had no business being there. It was, we had a losing <laughs> season. Um, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like a five and 10 season or so, something like that. And uh, yeah, we got to, we got to sectional and man, those guys just, we, we struggled against in the first round against a team who we should have beat decisively. 
Yes. Uh, we beat them earlier in the season, I think 11 nothing, And then we only beat them 1-0. And then the, the team we played in the final, I think they... This was all a formality to them to, yeah. to get to the next stage. And, that was uh, the ball don't lie team. Our, <laughs> our guys ended up uh, winning in a PK shootout uh, to win the sectional championship, this, that soccer yeah. program's first. Uh, yeah. So, but, you know, I, I kind of – it's – all the all the stories I take away from just those two years. All right. Well – You've been listening to the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. Uh, I was your host, Matt. I just want to thank uh, these three guys for joining us this evening. Uh, Josh, it's good to see you again. It's been a little while. It has been, yeah. Happy to have you. I had Jake on earlier. He had to take off to to tend to some other to some other stuff. And again, uh, Jesse, appreciate having you with us again. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballistic Footy. You can also now text or leave us a voicemail at 317-762-1644, or you can send us an email at ballisticfootball at gmail.com. Again, we're happy to take your messages and uh, find ways to incorporate your feedback or topics uh, here on the podcast. And thank you for joining us, and have a good one.